In today's environment, healthcare staffing shortages are commonplace, becoming the norm in hospitals around the country. When it comes to nursing, this situation is becoming more and more critical. So, how do rural hospitals keep their units staffed to continue caring for their patients during this unprecedented time? With attractive incentives, a positive culture, and a willingness to build their own talent pipelines. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hotshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 51 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hotshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So, Rachel, we have been talking about staffing challenges for months now, uh, and it's really impacted every industry, but we talk about it in healthcare because it impacts us. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic just amplified it. It accelerated uh, the trend that we were very concerned about at first. We were seeing that trend. Uh, Everybody was trying to predict what is going to happen with this trend. And then COVID-19 comes along and it blows the trend out of the water. Right. And now we are facing more nurse shortages than we ever dreamed possible. Uh, And not just in nursing. You know, we see it across all disciplines in healthcare. Uh, But the pandemic brought something very concerning to us. And uh, individuals through the Great Resignation resigned, individuals that wanted just to get out of healthcare in general uh, because of the challenges. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But uh, certainly the challenges have never been as real as they are today in healthcare. And I can say that having been in the industry, you know, for a decade now. And we're going to talk to a guest today and to yourself who've been in healthcare for quite some time. This is probably one of the most tumultuous times for trying to recruit and retain staff. It's very challenging. Right. The the trend we were expecting before anyone had even heard of COVID-19 for a shortage in nursing just came on really quick. Immediately. So today we are talking to someone who is kind of in the thick of this right now. So we are happy to have back with us Megan Campbell, Chief Nursing Officer for Hillsdale Hospital. So welcome back to Rural Health Rising, Megan. Oh, thank you, Rachel. Thank you, JJ. I'm so happy to be back. Well, and certainly discussing a topic that uh, is very near and dear to you, um, but uh, it is unfortunate to one degree that we have to talk about uh, lack of staffing, but I think it's important that we highlight it in the environment that we're living today because it does impact, Rachel, rural health. Right. And before we do that, Megan, for those who missed episode 38, and if you did, go back and listen to it. Please. Um, but who are meeting you for the first time, why don't you just give us a brief overview, a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work here at Hillsdale Hospital? Absolutely. So I've been here at Hillsdale for um, close to 13 years now. Um, I've started as a nurse on the floor. I worked on med surge. Um, I had the great opportunity to work in a variety of um, nursing departments within our hospital. I've worked as a nursing supervisor, as a charge nurse, as a um, a manager and a director before I took my chief nursing officer role. Um, I'm very grateful for all the opportunities that have been afforded to me here. Um, and I am very grateful to work in a hospital that serves its community the way that it does and takes care of its nurses the way that it does. And that is what drives me as the chief nursing officer to be here to help ensure that our community continues to have that high quality care readily available to them so they don't have to drive um, when time is tissue and their lives depend on it. Mm -hmm. We're here for them, Mm -hmm. Um, but also to make sure that our nurses are well cared for um, so that they can do their best job caring for our patients. You know, Megan, I think we witnessed uh, more than ever the word passion come out in our nursing. And I watched that passion in you. 
and uh, those that are listening just hear this beautiful voice, uh, but they don't know what's really represented in that voice, uh, the voice of Megan, and that is someone who has been on the front line, uh, who has experienced both the good and the bad in healthcare, and, you know, the, the sense that we have at this point is, you know, when does it change? It won't end. When does it change? But before we get into that lively discussion uh, in the encouragement to our communities about nursing, you know, I just want you know you to share a little bit more about the why. And and we do this on every program, you know. And you had a chance last time to talk to us about your why, but there may be new listeners on uh, that that just need to get to know you just a little bit more, better than you know than just listening to this program. Um, I want you to give your motives. Uh, what motivates you in healthcare? What 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 gets you up in the morning? Why do you do what you do? Because I'm going to tell you, during the pandemic, we witnessed a very large outmigration of nurses, not just to other facilities. They left healthcare altogether, and high numbers of retirements, high number of early retirements. You know, the number of people that were coming in saying we're cashing out our retirement, you know, give us our paperwork, and then they were taking the penalty associated with that to get an early distribution. You know, a lot of issues, Megan. But for you, Megan Campbell, what is your why? Um, I talked about this in in my last visit here, but I had um, an experience as a patient where I had two very different nurses, um, one who did not treat me very kindly and one who really just loved on me and built me up and let me know that um, I could do this, I was going to be fine, and just made a world of difference for me. And that was my why, um, why I went into nursing. And I see that every day as a nurse. Um, I strive always to be the nurse for uh, my patients who, when they've been here day after day and they're lonely and they're getting depressed and they're scared, um, I want to be that nurse to let them know that you're not alone. I'm here and I'm going to get you where, you know, we're going to set goals together. I'm going to help you achieve them. We're going to get you feeling better um, so that you can get home to your family and your loved ones. Um, I want to make sure you feel better. What can I do to make you more comfortable? Um, patients started as my why. They continue to be my why. Yeah, I, you know, right. obviously sure. I, I, sure. I love taking care of patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and I never thought I wanted to do anything other than take care of patients mm-hmm. because it's so rewarding. But during my time on the floor, um, I saw my fellow nurses and I saw how tired they would be sometimes mm-hmm. because it does take a lot being a caregiver. It takes mm-hmm. a lot out of you. Um, and sometimes you don't have all the resources you would hope that you had or all the help that you need during a really crazy day. And the difference that um, a good leader makes uh, is huge. And then that kind of became my why. I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to take care of nurses so that they could take care of patients. And so that is what drives me um, as a leader is taking care of those people who are taking care of our patients and making sure they have the support and the tools that they need to provide the best possible care. What an amazing why, and that speaks to the person of Megan, and you see that mm-hmm. exemplified in her and the care that she gives. She does the rounding. She meets with our patients and our family. So, Megan, it's great to have you on the program today to discuss something very important. So thank you. Yeah, so, you know, we're truly right in the middle of these staffing issues right now, and in some cases, maybe the worst it's been so far in the pandemic. Um, But can you tell us, you know, as our chief nursing officer, 
what are we experiencing here right now and what are you hearing from uh, other chief nursing officers and other nursing leadership uh, around Michigan and around the country about what they're dealing with? Absolutely. Um, I think that it's very easy to get um, stuck in what's going on right in front Mm -hmm. of you. And it feels very overwhelming um, when we look at, you know, some of the departures that we've had um, when we weren't anticipating them. And, um, and And it can feel burdensome. But I do feel blessed when I hear about what's going on around us that, you know, we we truly, um, while it's hard and it's a struggle, especially in rural health care, mm-hmm. um, we've not been as hit as hard as some of our surrounding facilities who've had to close departments, um, entirely shut down service lines, um, you know, not doing surgeries, um, elective mm-hmm. surgeries mm-hmm. for patients. Mm-hmm. And um, in order to to redirect those staff to to work other floors. We've not had to do that. We've been able to provide the services that our patients and our community needs um, and kind of keep our hospital whole in that way. Um, So I'm grateful for that. Um, But it certainly has taken a toll on Mm -hmm. the nurses here um, because, like I said, all of our nurses here are very passionate Mm-hmm. about what they do, and they mm-hmm. care about our patients. And so there will never be a time where our patients will see the effects of us being short-staffed. Yeah, We are going to do everything we possibly can to make sure that not only are they safe, but they're getting the highest quality care, that they feel like somebody was always there when they needed them. Um, and so people are working extra shifts. We've got people voluntarily floating, you know, on their off days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Coming in and working in different departments. Um, Our managers work the floor. Our supervisors work the floor. Mm -hmm. I come in and I work the floor. Mm -hmm. We're doing um, absolutely everything we can to make sure that our patients don't feel the effects that, Mm -hmm. you know, short staffing may may have on a hospital. You know, and I think it's it's very unique in rural health specifically, all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've been a sitter. Rachel's been a sitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've spent time over at the hospital doing what we needed to do. I've even folded laundry. Uh, we've served meals. And that's what we have to do. And the goal is no interruption in patient care. And right. a lot of my colleagues, Megan, you know, they have stopped. Still, there's several colleagues of mine that have stopped elective surgeries. Uh, and they and they have not continued those mm-hmm. uh, through, you know, majority of the pandemic. It's been spotty off and on. And the reason for that, they don't have enough scrub techs, they don't have enough nurses, they don't have enough patients or enough beds to room patients when, you know, high numbers of COVID are coming in and then staffing issues. And, you know, this is all compounded now as you look at it by really it's it's about volume and your sta- staff ratio. It is. You right. have to, in order to maintain a very safe environment for patients and for the staff, there's a ratio that's very important. And we have one here, and it's the number of patients per patients per staff. How many do we have that we allow? In other words, a, a, a nurse isn't going to take 12 patients. It's unsafe. And so, you know, we've got to balance that. But one of the issues is when when the great resignation occurred, which we're still in, they say, uh, as people are leaving healthcare. You know, we didn't have very many choices. We're in a small rural community. It's not like we have a nursing school right here in Hillsdale. Um, we do have a community college that does provide a nursing program in a couple of joining counties over. But ultimately, it's not like we're we're able to just have a big uh, amount of resources of nursing. Also, you don't have a float pool, right? A lot of large hospitals, they have 20 people dedicated to a float pool. 
And so you can pull that float pool. And so there's all these luxuries. In rural health, we don't have it because our margin is so thin that we have, in order to contain that margin, we obviously have to ensure that we keep our staffing costs down because it's the largest portion of our budget. So it's a balancing act. But then in the midst of the great resignation and or just people exhausted and they're leaving healthcare. You know, I, I interviewed someone that was leaving us and I said, tell me the why. And she said, well, listen, I'm going to stay casual, but my husband got a better job and I'm, I'm burnt out and I'm just going to go down to a few days a week. And we're hearing more and more of that, not just at Hillstub, but throughout mm-hmm. the industry. But, you know, so the challenge is how do you still keep the surgeries scheduled that you need to rev- generate revenue? How do you keep the patients cared for that need to use your hospital? Because other hospitals aren't even receiving patients during the pandemic. Right. You know, they were denying patient care, uh, denying patient referrals because they didn't have bed space. And so, wow, that's significant. So what did we have to do? Well, you have one option and really one option only. You either work your staff over, which we did, uh, to the extent that they can handle it and within the law. And number two is that you reach out to traveling agencies. Now, this is something that's been very concerning to me, and it's something that Rachel and I have talked about and that I have actually spoke with our congressional leaders about and proposed, and the traveling agencies aren't going to like this when they listen to me, uh, but it's that there should be caps because what has happened is nurses naturally and others, you know, we've had scrub techs leave, we've even had phlebotomists leave to travel. Did you know that? Uh, And they're leaving because there's always this presumption that the grass is definitely going to be greener over there, you know, that they're not going to have the problems that my rural hospital have. I will tell you, out of every person that has communicated back with me who's left, it's the same stuff. They go to the hospital. It's the same challenges. It's everybody's leaving. It's not just one particular area. But where we get really hurt in rural health care is the fees associated with travelers. And I just want your honest feedback. You know, travelers are important and they serve a purpose. You know, I can remember seven years ago when I was director of HR here at the hospital, you know, I would negotiate with traveling companies all the time. I'd be like, all right, well, I'm the Mac. I remember when I left it, this has only been six years ago. We were paying 55 to $60 per hour. Megan, what are we getting charged right now for a traveler, let's just say a general traveler. I'm talking about specialty unit like CCU because CCU, I'm going to talk about where that goes. But what is a general traveler making right now? Uh, we can't Company. get one for less than 150 an hour. 150 an hour. And at, at the height of the pandemic, 225, 250 an hour. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen that are listening, $250 an hour. Okay, annualized out 2,080 hours. That's a $550,000 a year position for one position. Well, how much of that actually goes to the traveling so, nurse? Well, right? and this and, is the and issue. versus their agency. Right. They did, they did increase significantly the amount that they're giving the nurses, obviously. Uh, and they give them free housing and they give them all those things. But the staffing agencies are getting rich with charging these astronomical fees. And so what's attractive is if you're just overwhelmed and you see a number before you that is two times what you make today and they're promising you sunshine in Florida. Because remember, traveling just isn't within your state. You know, so I want your perspective, you know, as a chief nursing officer, you know, the impact that travelers is having on the workforce. Can you share that with us? Absolutely. Um, I am very grateful for travelers when there's a need. Um, you know, we've for years utilized them and it's in a time when we have um, unanticipated turnover or um, 
somebody's out on FMLA and then somebody transitions to a new role and we just need a little extra support for a short period of time, I'm very grateful for the role that travelers serve. Um, however, we're now in a situation where um, we, we almost can't function. Um, we're down so many nurses mm -hmm. that we have – when you have three travelers on med surge and four in ER and one in OB and you're paying $150 an hour for each of those, you can't sustain that. Right. It's, it's not sustainable. It wouldn't be in the budget if it were for salaried no. nurses, to JJ's point, in terms of Ex what it costs us. Yeah. Exactly. And even with that, though, it is pretty lucrative for the nurses who are doing it. Otherwise, they wouldn't live that, you know, sure. lifestyle. But it, and it creates the secondary problem of all of these nurses who are working just as hard, mm -hmm. if not harder, right alongside For a them because of the wage. they're invested in Hillsdale mm -hmm. Hospital. They care about our hospital and our patients because they live here. This is mm -hmm. their community. Um, some travelers are, some maybe not. Um, <laughs> it's a mixed bag. Some people like are. Some sure. people are really good at blooming where they're planted, and some yeah, are not. Exactly. Some are not. Yeah. Um, but when when you're working just as hard, if not harder, along somebody who's making two and three times as much as you, it's that's hard. That's demoralizing. Hard to stomach. Demoralizing. Right. Yeah. So so now we have our nurses who are looking to leave to go travel and further compounding the staffing issues, and um, it, it's almost become this vicious cycle mm -hmm. of everybody leaving to become a traveler, thus perpetuating the need for travelers. However we're not going to be able to sustain that many travelers. You, right. you also have to have hospital employees working alongside those travelers. You Correct. can't have right. a traveler, no. you know, travelers running departments. Exclusively, so. yeah, no. yeah. How much more an hour does your typical traveler make compared to the floor nurse they're working alongside? Truthfully, I don't know how much of that 150 we pay, how much goes to the nurse and okay. how much goes to the agency. I'm not sure what it the just, breakdown And it ranges is. on the unit that they're in, like right. a CCU. But you can get two to almost three times what you normally what would make. Making. Yeah, because they're, they are transferring a lot of that right back to the, to the individual mm -hmm. to attract them right, to, to right. sign up to their company. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you look at the economies of it, I've had often uh, a traveler tell me, uh, you know, JJ, and it's a traveler who worked for us and then became a traveler who's now back working for another system because they don't like traveling. But regardless, uh, the issue is they said, well, if you pay all of your employees like uh, travelers, then you wouldn't have this problem. And I said, do you realize the hospitals would close in America in a matter of months? If you're paying a nurse $150 an hour, okay, $150 an hour, uh, which is $320,000 a year, you know, that's disproportionate to the market. The market would never pay a nurse in a general setting $300,000 a year. And so it's disproportionate, which means we would never recover enough cost to ever run the hospital. You would be operating on your, your cash on hand. It would evaporate and your hospital would close. So that's not the answer. The answer isn't, well, you just need to pay lots more. That's not the answer. That doesn't resolve the issue. And so we've got to get at the heart of the matter. And, you know, I think Rachel's going to going to touch upon, you know, what that heart of the matter is. But I also just want to know that when we look at this this issue of travelers, that our congressional leaders are looking at it because there is there should be a ceiling uh, on this. And you're going to hear more about it, Megan, in the future, because there's going to set there are going to be setting limits on, you know, what the allowable dollar amount can be. And I think that's very important because it's going to help sustain health care. Now, the issue for me in rural health 
compared to large centers is that, you know, we're on a very small shoestring budget, right? Now, big centers, Rachel, they're operating on fat cash. They have great payer mixes. You know, we have Mm -hmm. 70% Medicaid, Medicare. You go to a big suburban hospital and it's it's reversed that. It's 70% commercial, you know, 18 to 25% Medicaid, Medicare. We are just the opposite. We're serving the rural community. So to pay astronomical fees for that, Unacceptable. Now, I've often uh, looked at the congressional leaders and said, you know, can we look at a, a system that where rule has to be capped and then, you know, urban can be capped? Right. Because truly the cost of renting an apartment and living in right. an urban area is more. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is. That's why the bigger systems pay more. Well, because you pay for your parking, your cost union dues, mm-hmm. your cost of living is higher, your houses are double the cost. So it naturally to assume to say, well, you should be paying like they do up in that one city. Well, but look at Hillsdale. You know, our housing costs are $100,000 cheaper per house. The the cost of groceries are cheaper. The cost of even gasoline right. isn't cheaper. So, so it's proportionate to the economies of scale for those communities. So I think what's important is as we watch this, to your point, we're not beating up travelers because after all, you know, you you're pretty smart if you think I can make triple what I'm making. So Mm -hmm. we can't blame them. But what we have to look at are those agencies that are using these tactics that once pre-pandemic, $65 an hour, post-pandemic, mid-pandemic, post-pandemic, $200 to $225 per hour. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with that. Yes. Well, and I think this is another example of something we've talked about before, JJ, which is that a lot of times we want to think of healthcare as if free market economics apply universally to the healthcare industry. Yeah. And it just doesn't. 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 This is an example of yeah. that. If we if we do that and let it operate that yeah. way, we're in the situation that we're in now, which could significantly cripple an already crippled healthcare Absolutely. system in our country. So it's well, I, Rachel, I think it's just some evidence to that. And is. and I, you know, I'm generally a free market economist myself, well, we but I also are. recognize there is a it's a different situation in this industry. But in order for the free market economy to work, though, with the issues of supply and demand where you have equilibrium where the two meet, the issue becomes who does the cost get passed down to? Right. So in order to afford that health care, right, mm-hmm. who pays for it? Right. The consumer, the patient. And so how do you reduce the cost that's going to be transferred eventually? Understand this. You cannot sustain $150 to $200 an hour for nurses without that going back to the patient at some level. Right. Someone has to pay for it. Right. Hospitals cannot do this long term. So that means pricing gets increased, mm-hmm. which means insurance companies pay more. The people who should be invested in this is patients and insurance companies saying, you know, that's wrong. Lobby your congressional mm-hmm. leaders and say there has to be caps. I think that's going to be very important. So let's talk a little bit about, now that we kind of understand the problem, I've talked about some of the issues surrounding it, let's talk about some of the strategies we have in place here to combat that. Because we've kind of put together a, I've been working with you, Megan, and Stacy, our chief administrative officer, on this effort. And we kind of have a three-pronged approach to the way we've been looking at this, right? Yeah. um, I think the first thing that we're working on is retention. So how do we keep the amazing employees we currently have here at Hillsdale Hospital. Um, when we look at what some of the strategies um, other hospitals have used to bring in new employees, um, one of those is recruitment bonuses mm-hmm. um, or sign-on bonuses. And that just didn't sit right with us. Mm-hmm. Um, why are we going to pay this new person that we don't know from Adam a ton of money and who knows what kind of quality they're going to bring mm-hmm. to us mm-hmm. when we have really wonderful nurses and nursing assistants um, 
phlebotomists, you know, all of, all of our employees here are so great and care so much. That's why mm-hmm. they're here. And have been here through the long haul. Yes, oh, and, yeah. and have been here through all of the extra shifts and um, increased beds and high census and um, been here through all the crazy and stuck it out. That Those are the people we want to reward. So um, we have worked on a retention bonus to, to say thank you for sticking it out. Um, and helping get us through this hard time because we all know this isn't going to be forever. Um, mm-hmm. But it's rough while it lasts, and we want to thank you for for getting us through. And we have a, a, a name for that here that I think really demonstrates um, what we are recognizing in our employees. We call this the resiliency bonus yeah. because it takes a lot of resilience to still be in healthcare today. Uh, having gone through what we've all gone through over the last couple years. Um, and that extends to all of our employees, which I think is um, really important as well, because, you know, JJ always talks about it's not just the nursing staff that's critical to our operations. And so I think I love the fact that you brought up what, it, you know, what it truly is aimed at is, is the resilience of our staff. You know, what's also interesting among traveling agencies is other travelers that leave here, that are given ten, fifteen thousand dollars recruitment bonuses to recruit their colleagues who used to work with them in their hospitals, and that's a challenge. So to help offset some of that, we're saying, listen, if you're going just purely for a bonus, you know, stay, and we're going to reward you for that bonus right. for those hours worked, and that still goes up to the last day that we do this. I mean, if you hire in one month before, you're still going to get a portion of of that resilience bonus. And uh, that to us is very important. And most places make you sign five, six-year contracts and three mm-hmm. years here, and you have to pay back proportionately. We're, what we're doing is we're recognizing the time that you're here, then you get the lump sum. Right. And it's I think it's a great opportunity, Megan. And I know you have other, uh, why don't you share with us some other of the other strategies that you've deployed? So another thing that we're doing is, um, which we also, I think, talked a little bit about in my last episode, is we like to grow our own here at Hillsdale Hospital. Yes. So, um Looking at those um, people maybe in some of the ancillary departments who are interested in pursuing a career in nursing um, and maybe interested in becoming um, a certified nursing assistant, we will help um, support you through that process and we'll pay for your SENA program. Um, For our SENAs who are interested in going back to school to become a nurse, we have a tuition assistance program to help support them. Uh, so that they can pursue that opportunity to grow in their um, nursing career as well. And not only does that help us take care of our employees, which I think is all of our goals, um, but it also helps meet the growing need that we're all seeing for um, nurses, nursing assistants, and and just people in healthcare in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one really, I think, amazing opportunity that we have offered to our employees here. Yeah. So instead of relying on the market to hopefully fill the pipeline, we're kind of building our own pipeline uh, internally. And then also um, with recruitment, with pulling in new employees, um, we have a couple things there that we're doing as well and uh, kind of competing with the uh, the traveler recruitment bonus situation, right? Yes. So we do have a recruitment bonus for our employees who are able to bring in um, new healthcare workers. So they um, are have the opportunity to get a bonus if they can bring on a new nurse, a new nursing assistant, someone for dietary, any place where we have a need. If they can bring on a new employee, they have the opportunity 
to get that recruitment bonus, which I think is really exciting, something new for us that we have not done in the past. Right. So, And that kind of helps with recruitment and retention because yes. your employees like yeah. that they have the opportunity that are already here. And then they're also helping kind of build their own team and pick out, handpick some of their colleagues, yeah, which, yeah. which is kind of cool. Two um, birds, one stone. Yes. I think very critical. Exactly. So, you know, to, to piggyback some of that, you know, on recruitment, you know, we've worked here very aggressively to build a talent pipeline. And that's kind of a buzzword right now. And I think that's uh, something very important that, Megan, you have to in your role. Now, when you're a manager, you're really functioning, you know, day by day. It's like fill the shift, make sure the payroll's done, make sure the ordering's in place. But as a CNO, your role has to expand, and it has. It's been great to watch you grow in your new role. But, you know, when we talk about the leadership role for all three of us at this table, including our HR director, it's about building the talent pipeline. You know, how do we assure that tomorrow we have enough staff? And so we've been doing that here. Why don't you talk a little bit about how we do that? Yes, this is really exciting. This is um, something new that we are um, piloting right now, which is our LPN to RN program, um, where we have noticed some deficiencies in our staffing in the emergency department um, and also recognize that there's an extreme shortage of RNs on the market right now. Um, we've looked at alternative staffing models, and one of those is um, utilizing LPNs, where we have not had that opportunity before. And so we will be working on a program where we will have LPNs starting in our emergency department, um, working as LPNs, but also um, those LPNs who have an interest in returning for their RN. And then we will be providing tuition assistance to those um, nurses as they continue on in their education um, programs. And then eventually we'll have more RNs here in our hospital to help support all of the needs of, you know, of the ER and, mm -hmm. and the hospital as a whole, which mm -hmm. I think is really exciting. Mm -hmm. um, in our community thus far, LPNs have typically worked in a skilled nursing facility or a long-term care facility. So this is a new opportunity for a lot of um, skilled uh, practical nurses to do something a little different and We've seen a lot of excitement around that because we're getting lots of interest in applications mm -hmm. in this program. Another thing I think that's a little bit unique, um, well, maybe more unique than some of the other things we're doing, because tuition assistance is relatively common in the healthcare industry for people to um, advance their career, advance their skills, um, that kind of thing. But it's not often that when you already have debt from school, that you go to a new employer and they're going to help you pay that back. And that's part of our uh, one of our newest initiatives as well, right? Yes. Um, this, Like you said, this is new for us, but I think really um, will be a big draw to, to nurses who are coming out of nursing school and looking at that first bill that they have to pay, mm -hmm. um, as, as well as for those who've been paying on that darn loan for who knows how long and, and would like a little help. Um, during these tough times trying to get that paid off, we're going to be doing a tuition debt um, reimbursement program. So nurses who have um, just graduated or have been working as a nurse but have debt from nursing school um, will be assisting in 
and paying off some of that debt. So it's retroactive, sort of. And it's, I think, much less of a barrier um, or a hurdle, I guess, to pay off the debt someone's dragging behind them than to get someone maybe as excited about, okay, I'm going to go in and become an RN. There's school. There there are more hurdles to complete that process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas with this, it's like you're just taking a burden off of their back to bring them in to our facility. Yes, absolutely. And I think beyond that program, uh, once you get them here, you know, the opportunities even beyond nursing, let's talk about that. Asina can apply for a nursing scholarship at Hillsdale Hospital. Yes, absolutely. And I think those are some important strategies of what we call grow your own. I think that's really where we have to look, you know, given that we do not have a large pipeline, you know, of colleges and universities that are pushing out a bunch of nurses. Um, you know, we have opportunities, though, to take what, you know, our staff member who hires in as environmental services. I've watched it happen here. It's a beautiful thing to see. Someone hires in, they want to, you know, pursue education, they start out here, they move to Asina, they move to, and progressively, you know, we have, I can give an example. We had a manager here, actually a director, who started as a uh, clerk working the front counter, moved over to the admitting department, moved to a supervisor, manager, director, name of Lindsay. Sure, you remember Lindsay, mm-hmm. and Lindsay did that, and that we we made all those things happen. She's now, uh, you know, a leader in another bigger system. Um, but we're we're not afraid to keep people for three to five years. You know, if you can't make the commitment, you say, "I don't want to be at Hillsdale all my life." You don't have to make that commitment. If we get great talent for three to five years, I'll take them. And and we understand that the market is going to continuously be turning over. So I think those are important strategies. And Megan, I want to thank you. Uh, for having the vision and the insight to pull this off. And I think if we're going to have any advantage in this recruitment effort, uh, it's going to be in these programs that you've described today. Thank you, JJ. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest. So be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guest, Megan Campbell, Chief Nursing Officer for Hillsdale Hospital. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit RuralHealthRising.com. So, how do rural hospitals keep their units staffed to continue caring for their patients during this unprecedented time? With an attractive CEO, or no, it's okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought that'd get us. All right. We gotta post that position. Yeah. <laughs>